Hello and welcome to the USURF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world and break the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight, I'm Dwight Bashir. Today we're gonna focus on traditional and indigenous religions in Russia, as well as an ongoing witch hunt in the Russian Republic of Chechnya, carried out under the false pretext of protecting traditional Chechen Islam. Yusuf has been deeply concerned about religious freedom conditions in the Russian Federation, which have rapidly deteriorated in the last decade as the government increasingly has targeted religious minorities, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses, with baseless extremism charges. And and they also use unsubstantiated accusations of terrorism uh, to imprison Crimean Muslim activists opposed to its illegal annexation of their homeland. Yusuf has covered these violations in numerous publications and hearings, including a report just released this week on religious freedom abuses in Chechnya. Since 2017, Yusuf has recommended that the State Department designate Russia as a country of particular concern, or CPC as it's known, for its systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. Although the State Department added Russia to its special watch list in 2018, it has yet to implement Yusuf's CPC recommendation. We really like to see the State Department name Russia as a CPC when it uh, makes its designations uh, next month sometime. The religious freedom landscape in Russia is extremely complicated, and today we'll be considering it through the lens of small indigenous faiths, which, despite their uh, long pedigree in the region, are still considered non-traditional and often discriminated against. We're fortunate today to have with us uh, again our USERF senior policy analyst, Jason Morton, to discuss these issues in more detail. And Jason is also the author of the uh, just released report on Chechnya. Welcome back, Jason. Great to be here, Dwight. Thank you. Now, before we uh, turn our discussion to uh, the indigenous religions in Russia, Can you give our audience a sense of the distinction between so-called traditional and non-traditional religions in Russia? Sure. Uh, During the first few years of Russian independence following the collapse of the Soviet Union, the state had a much more open policy towards religion. Uh, The country really experienced an unprecedented growth of religiosity at this time, including the introduction of many faiths and, and religious interpretations that were previously unknown in the region. Uh, This all changed in 1997 when the government passed a new religion law which ended the state's permissive treatment of religious minorities and introduced many regulations that were based on previous Soviet policy. Uh, The law was heavily promoted by the Russian Orthodox Church and was really effectively designed to bolster established faiths in Russia and limit the spread of these newer religious movements. Uh, The preamble to this law acknowledged, quote, the special role of orthodoxy in the history of Russia and in the establishment and development of its spirituality and culture, end quote. 
as well as that of other so-called traditional religions like Islam, Buddhism, and Judaism, uh, which were considered to be an integral part of the historical heritage of the peoples of Russia. And while all these faiths are supposedly equal in Russia, uh, you know, while all, all faiths are supposedly, uh, these traditional religions are really treated differently. Their clergy work closely with the government and they are largely immune from the suspicion, surveillance, and outright persecution that other non-traditional religions face on a regular basis. In 2002, Russia further expanded its, its uh, regulation of religion by adopting a new extremism law, uh, which is problematic because it doesn't contain a really clear working definition of extremism and allows for the prosecution of vague offenses, including a particularly prominent one uh, about these quote-unquote propaganda of exclusiveness, uh, which really means that if you say that your religion is the only true religion, uh, that you can be prosecuted as an extremist. And, you know, this is obviously a problem because most religions would probably say that if, if pressed. Um, religious organizations actually do constitute the majority of those accused under this extremism law. Uh, the law was further expanded in 2016 as the government adopted more amendments um, related to sharing religious faith or extending invitations to a religious service. These things are now considered illegal missionary activity if it happens outside of officially registered spaces. And this can include in private homes or even over the internet. So you send an email to somebody, invite them to a religious service, you can be charged with illegal missionary activity. Uh, and these extremism laws really are largely applied to the non-traditional religions and most prominently against the Jehovah's Witnesses who were banned as an extremist organization in 2017 and have subsequently faced a nationwide purge of their members, which is only getting worse, um, you know, as, as the time goes by. Uh, so in this, in this context, the distinction between traditional and non-traditional can really mean the difference between religious autonomy and official hostility or even like in the case with the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, the, the official destruction of a faith in Russia. How does the uh, government you know, define this indigenous religion? I mean, haven't faiths like the Russian Orthodoxy or Islam existed in Russia for, for uh, centuries? I mean, so if you can give us a sense of what exactly is an indigenous religion in, in this context. Yeah, this question really gets at the heart of the Russian cultural and religious landscape. So I think people who are unfamiliar with the re region tend to have a monolithic perception of Russia as a, as a huge country full of ethnic Russian Slavs. Uh, but the reality is much more diverse. It's, it's called the Russian Federation because it includes many non-Russian ethnic groups. And often these have their own ethnic republics, uh, which are complete with their own official cultures, flags, languages, and in some cases, uh, religions that predate the arrival of traditional faiths like Christianity or Islam, which have been, been around for a very long time in Russia. Uh, these faiths, which I'm calling indigenous, uh, are sometimes referred to somewhat pejoratively as, as pagan. Uh, this word pagan uh, derives from the Latin for villager or rustic, and it really refers to kind of rural folk religion, uh, but came to signify unbelievers in, in Christian discourse. Uh, they're best described as polytheistic or animist and perceive the world to be inhabited by various spirits associated with natural phenomenon, like seasons or, or specific locations like sacred forests. Uh, in Eastern Russia and Siberia, there's a strong tradition of shamanism, 
in which certain individuals act as mediators with the spirit world and provide spiritual services like guiding or guidance or healing uh, to their communities. Importantly, these, these religions, which I'm referring to as indigenous, are not part of a, another phenomenon, which is known as neo-paganism, uh, which re really refers to modern reconstructions of imagined pagan systems, which are often heavily influenced by more contemporary kind of occult philosophies and, and practices that are usually associated with things like the New Age movement. These oftentimes tend to be based on a, a limited understanding of actual historical practices, uh, which in most cases ended many centuries ago and left little or no documentary evidence beyond the names of prominent deities or myths and folktales that preserve an echo of past belief. And in some, but in far from all cases, these neo-pagan groups can be influenced by racist ideologies, linking, for instance, ideas about Slavic paganism with delusions of, of white supremacy. Indigenous religions like that of the Mari uh, a Finno-Ugric people in the Volga region, or the Chuvash, who are a Turkic people also near the Volga, these continue to maintain many of their religious traditions since substantial conversion to Orthodox Christianity in these regions only began to really take root in the 19th century. Uh, oftentimes, indigenous practices were combined with the newer faith so that people would convert to, to Christianity, but uh, combine those with, with existing practices, creating what's known as syncretic or folk practiced. Many shamanistic religions in Siberia never really came under the influence of, of the other traditional religions. Um, and since many practitioners were already kind of accustomed because of the dominance of these, these other religions, they were already accustomed to a necessary degree of secrecy. Uh, many of these religions actually survived the Soviet era relatively intact. Well, it seems to me uh, that uh, these indigenous religions uh, would fit the definition of traditionals, as you're explaining. Are they actually included in the uh, privilege category that, that you've been describing here? Unfortunately not. And this, this really seems like a, an inconsistent application of the concept. Uh, representatives of indigenous faiths report a rise in both official discrimination and social hostility, uh, which correlates with the broader tend towards xenophobia and sort of uh, being afraid of, of the non-traditional faiths. Uh, practitioners of the Chuvash faith have complained of hostility from the Orthodox Church, uh, which has a strong influence in Chuvashia. Desecration of indigenous religious sites has increased in re recent years. Uh, in 2020, there were numerous incidents of vandalism, including the, the placing of an Orthodox Christian icon in a sacred grove of the indigenous Mari religion and the burning of a site that was sacred to the indigenous Kachas religion. Uh, such incidents led ultimately to the establishment of a new monitoring group in 2020, which is devoted to documenting and reporting these kinds of abuses. There's also incidents of government hostility as well. In May 2021, uh, an official in Mari El, which is where the Mari people uh, come from, instructed local authorities not to allow followers of the Mari traditional religion to worship on municipal property. Uh, but the most egregious and high-profile incident of government discrimination is the case of Alexander Gabishev, who is a Yakut shaman, who has repeatedly been confined against his will to a psychiatric hospital for vowing to exercise Putin from the Kremlin. Uh, he was most recently confined in July 2021 and remains under compulsory 
medical treatment and what many people see is as a you know a disturbing echo of past soviet practice when dissidents were frequently subjected to compulsory imprisonment in mental hospitals and so-called punitive psychology which or psychiatry which could you know even involve not just being locked up but you know the involuntary use of psychotropic medicine and, and, and sedatives things like that uh, as far as the traditional label, it's something that these indigenous religions are actively pursuing. In August 2021, the third All-Russian Congress of Shamans met in the Southern Siberian Republic of Tuva and called on the government to grant them equal status with Orthodox Christians and Muslims as practitioners of a traditional faith. The conference announced its intention to work on this issue with other pagan faiths, uh, including neo-pagan groups that I talked about earlier, uh, practitioners of reconstructed Slavic religion and other kinds of groups like that in, in the European part of Russia. Uh, but somewhat tragically, this conference also felt it necessary to denounce Alexander Gabishev as an extremist for his opposition to Putin. And I think this really underscores the extent to which this category of traditional religion is perceived um, as one in which uh, these religions are staunch allies of the government. So much so that even those aspiring to the category feel the need to actively demonstrate their disdain for alleged extremists and political dissidents. Well, thanks for unpacking all this. A lot of uh, good details here that you don't typically get uh, on, on the current situation and how to understand the traditional and, uh, and indigenous uh, religions there in Russia. Uh, but if we turn to uh, the report that uh, you authored that was just released this week on religious freedom violations in the ethnic republic of Chechnya, uh, which includes information about the persecution of women uh, accused of witchcraft. Is the government in Chechnya actually conducting uh, a witch hunt? Can you, can you tell us more about this uh, report that you just uh, authored? Yeah, so this report also really, uh, you know, focuses on this issue of, of traditional religion um, and, and, you know, this category uh, that the government has created. And it focuses on Chechnya as an example of the kinds of egregious religious violations that take place in Russia. Um, here again, as I said, the concept of traditional religion is key. So the leader of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov, uh, portrays himself as the protector of traditional Chechen Islam. Uh, but in reality, he's actively distorting Islam to create a kind of pseudo-religious cult centered on himself and his family, uh, and which justifies his oppressive regime. Uh, so he has a kind of eccentric pretension to religious authority, which includes things like receiving a blood transfusion from an alleged descendant of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, he's orchestrated the production of a fatwa that declares Sufi Islam the only true interpretation of the religion uh, and dedicates massive prestige mosques across the republic to members of his family. Uh, traditional Chechen Islam has come to signify submission to Kadyrov's regime. And even moderate Muslim clerics who try to maintain independence from the regime are often persecuted and forced to flee. Uh, the most systematic and horrible expression of Kadyrov's so-called traditional values program is the violent purge of the LGBTI community. Uh, Kadyrov regularly claims that there are no gays in Chechnya, and since at least 2017, his security services have worked to make this claim a reality. 
A large number of gay Chechens have been kidnapped, tortured, and even executed in a sweeping campaign of violence that unfortunately continues to the present day. Uh, this purge dynamic also includes a literal witch hunt. Um, since 2019, Chechen authorities have been detaining citizens accused of witchcraft on an almost weekly basis. These individuals are usually elderly women, and they're forced to confess their crimes on state television while they're publicly shamed and humiliated by a government theologian. Uh, this so-called witchcraft is not a new phenomenon in the region. It refers to uh, what I was talking about before, this kind of syncretic religion, where an established religion, in this case Islam, is combined with folk practices which are derived uh, from you know, earlier religions, including local shamanism, and sometimes more recent influences like Western occultism or the New Age movement. Uh, but amulets to ward off evil spirits or the evil eye, these kinds of things are widespread in historical Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And they often include religious scriptures from those traditions and other kinds of accepted relics. Um, scholars of religion hesitate to distinguish between supposedly, or supposedly authentic and, and syncretic religion because faith and the role of the supernatural is ultimately a matter of personal belief. It's not the, the uh, jurisdiction of academic experts or the state. But in Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov determines ultimately which religious practices are authentic and traditional, and he uses state violence and repressive tactics to enforce those standards. So it sounds to me as if, uh, you know, what you're saying is this campaign would would further bolster, um, you know, USERF's uh, recommendation for CPC designation on on Russia. And that gets to the question of how can the U.S. and international community, you know, curtail these abuses in Chechnya um, and should in this Kadyrov's regime be singled out? as a possible candidate for a targeted sanction uh, based on what you're what describing here. So could you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how, how this could be uh, a tool to use and, and how this fits into the larger CPC recommendation? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Chechnya and, and, and officials like Ramzan Kadyrov have been singled out for targeted sanctions. Uh, Kadyrov has, has been twice targeted by uh, global Magnits Magnitsky sanctions. Um, he kind of laughs them off and, and is very uh, dismissive of, of the whole process. Uh, but in terms of his strategy, I think it's, it's really critical to recognize that Chechnya is part of the Russian Federation and that the Russian government is ultimately responsible for what happens there. So Russia claims to champion traditional values and cultural relativism, but it really uses those concepts to violate international standards of human rights. And Chechnya is just one example um, among many of the flaws inherent in this Russian paradigm. Other examples, unfortunately, you know, abound. You know, from the persecution of Crimean Tatar Muslims in occupied Crimea, the effective banning of Protestant groups in war-torn Eastern Ukraine, uh, to the ongoing purge of peaceful Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, you know, and just in the last couple of days, we've seen sentences of eight years given to members of the Jehovah's Witness faith for peacefully practicing their faith. Eight years in prison, which is is worse than than many people receive for things like rape or violent assault. Um, so, since USER first recommended CPC status for Russia in 2017. 
The case for this designation has only grown more compelling. The State Department placed Russia on its special watch list in 2018, and this is a lesser category that does not carry the threat of punitive consequences. And while we appreciate you know, the recognition of the abuses that happen in Russia as deserving mention, we really believe that they rise to the level of, of CPC status, especially when considered alongside um, you know, things like Kadyrov's brutal authoritarian policies in Chechnya. Uh, we really believe that the, this designation is uh, merited and, and, and the, the time to do it is, is now. Well, we'll have to leave it right here, but I want to thank you, sir, for senior policy analyst Jason Morton for his uh, deep insights today. And I think make, making a compelling case as to uh, why Russia merits that CPC designation. And we hope state will follow a USERF's recommendation. As always, you can find USERF's reporting on Russia and our latest uh, recommendations for U.S. policy some of which were discussed today on our website at www.uscirf.gov. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.